everyone. I'm Trisha Carter, an organizational psychologist and an explorer of cultural intelligence. I'm on a quest to discover what enables us to see things from different perspectives, especially different cultural perspectives, and why sometimes it's easier than others to experience those moments of awareness. What can we do to help ourselves and others to experience shifts when needed? Well, everyone, today I'm joined by Kath Brew, and Kath is a global LGBTQ consultant and coach. She supports parents, schools, and businesses to navigate the inclusion of diverse genders and sexualities cross-culturally. Kath also works as a shamanic practitioner. Did I pronounce that correctly, Kath? Almost. Shamanic. Shamanic, (laughs) thank you. Helping people to find inner peace and to heal from emotional wounds like childhood pain, ancestral trauma, limiting beliefs, difficult relationships, and other sources of internal disease. Essentially, Kath is all about helping people to nurture well-being and belonging, both personally and collectively. Welcome, Kath. Thank you. Hey, Kath, I'm anticipating that some of our listeners might be thinking, what does she do? (laughs) Yeah, I have that same conversation with myself sometimes. (laughs) Um, And and also the... I, I kind of use air quotes saying uh, spiritual guidance and, and with the work that I do because it is it is quite a loaded word. It was very loaded for me many, many years ago. I used to think it was all a complete crock of whatever. Yes. Um, it's a very loaded word and it's it's not – It people joke about it being woo-woo uh, with the, the kind of spiritual side of things, but um, we all – as humans, we all have – this exploration with the world around us and 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 you, it doesn't matter where you're born in the world like you might be a humanist who believes in the the human spirit like mm. the human energy that we have or you might be uh someone who's a, a jain or a muslim or a hindu like wherever yeah. we're born in the world we're all exploring this human state what it means to exist in the universe so mm. i completely get if people are a bit freaked out by what i'm about to talk about um, but just know that I was once too, and I got to a point where actually I couldn't deny the things that I was experiencing. And I thought, actually, I want to explore this. I don't want to be that person that pretends they know everything or um, is scared of something yeah. or actually, and that's all fine. Like if someone just isn't interested and it's not their thing, they've had some bad experiences, absolutely fine. Uh, but for me, it's been a really amazing transformative process with what I do and then helping with LGBTQ plus stuff, I, I help allies basically get their yeah. heads around what all this means because they're having to deal with it more and more, yeah. whether they like it or not, really. So, And that's another world of difference. Um, yes. Yeah. So this episode was actually triggered by David Livermore, who in his episode where I interviewed him, the part two episode, which was CQ Strategy, Where Shifts Happen. And if you haven't heard that one, you can go back and, and um, have a listen to it. He referenced the book, The Body Keeps the Score, as a resource that could be helpful to people to dive deeper into their awareness. And when I started looking into that book, um, it wasn't something that is in in my area of expertise. And I very quickly became aware that it is in uh, my friend and colleague, Kath's area of expertise. (laughs) And so I want to talk with her about how we might gain awareness from our body when our mind might be less aware. 
and and sometimes focusing on things other than the cognitive or the intellectual components of culture might help us to make shifts in completely different ways. But we're sort of jumping ahead of ourselves here because <laughs> like every other guest on this show, I have some questions to ask Kath. So Kath, first of all, what is Fire a cult- culture other than the culture you grew up in that you have learned to love and appreciate? Mm. I think for me, because it's so profound with the work that I will be talking about around how your body keeps score and all this kind of stuff is yes. because that's all about energy and, and the, the the spirit and the world and the universe and all this stuff. Um, for me, I would I would say Aboriginal culture within Australia. So I didn't grow up within it. It's very different to my own non-Indigenous um, culture. But when I started working uh, as an adult, I worked a lot for the National Parks and Wildlife Service. and uh, I was doing heritage management, but I started to work a lot with Aboriginal people. Um, and it, it it was in that role, but also in my own consultancy. And so this work was mainly the management of art sites. And if we were on site, we'd have to have an Aboriginal person there making sure that we were doing all the right things. And, mm. and it was a way of um, making sure that, that we had someone we could talk to as well and ask questions of. Um, and so this involved a lot of working also with elders to protect sites, but also creating walking tracks for the public to come and have a look at these places, but then also having a different access that allowed the elders to continue to get to the, the sites and actually right. have uh, teaching for the next generation. So there were mm. areas that they wanted to keep the public away from because they had a lot of artifacts or, or things like that. And so I got fascinated by things. So I remember being standing at an art site and saying to this man, I was thinking, oh, I feel embarrassed now. But I said to him, I did that classic question of how old is this? I mean, it's such a, a non-Indigenous question. I said, how old yes. is this artwork? And he just looked at me and smiled and said, well, he said it was here when my grandmother was a child and it was here when her grandmother was a child. And it was this beautiful, beautiful thing of time and space was very, very different. Yeah. That indicated about oral history. And I just... And I smiled because he he wasn't telling me off. He was just answering it. But it was such a beautiful response. And I thought, mm, that that's really interesting. And I love, I love that connection to landscape with with them. And and things like I walked on worked, sorry, on a project where the Aboriginal community wanted uh, a walking track between two areas. Now, culturally, it was against cultural law for them to be in that middle area or to actually be on that ground. Um, so they employed our team to create a walking track above ground between the two locations. So mm-hmm. we weren't bound by cultural law by and by being a boardwalk above the ground, they weren't breaking any cultural laws. And I, and I love this because it it showed the core that they understood the core of who they were. They understood who I was and we were making a solution together. Yeah. So that that was amazing. And just then to kind of sidetrack, this links to the LGBTQ plus work I do in that I try not to actually use the word inclusion because it implies that other people, another people, there's like one person, some people are in, some people are out. Mm-hmm. The others must, inverted commas, conform. But as soon as you've got to do something or you've got to like have to include people, um, there starts to be uh, some resistance. So I'm not saying that these inequalities um, don't need to be addressed, but any time someone is told that they must do this, your hackles get up. You're just like, well, I, yeah. I don't want to do this. So so I tend to talk about navigating 
helping people to navigate diverse genders and sexualities because that's what they're doing and it puts it at the heart of the ally. They're the ones struggling. I struggling. I know how to be a lesbian, that, like <laughs> what my life is. Yes. But um it it's much more about them being an ally, learning, it's softer and it's ironically more inclusive. Yeah. Oh, I love so that. So it all it all links. It the the working with Aboriginal people helped me to start to see between the lines, I guess, is what I would say. And it's very much about the intangible space, the how we make meaning, what are we reacting to in the world around us? How do we exist in the world? Why do we react to what we do? How do we interpret the world? That's all my mm, mm. question. So it was a no, a no-brainer, really, that once I arrived in the UK, I started to work in heritage interpretation, which is all about not what happens, but why things happened. So I'm the person that writes, and I still do. This is another thing I didn't add into my bio, but I still do it now, um, that when you go to a museum, I'm the one that that writes and designs what you read and you learn about as you walk around. Right. And design, the, design those experiences. So yes. It's all, and, it's, all you, it's all part of the same stuff, but yeah, yeah. areas. And I imagine you're probably writing those things to help people see those different perspectives at, at any yeah. given point in time. Um, yeah, completely. And, yeah. That's, and helping that's... them understand massive concepts. So one of the things I struggle to write about, but I, I do, is geology. Like it's space and time in, in mm-hmm. ways that it's hard for the human brain to comprehend. So, um, yeah, it's I love it. And I'm fascinated by the world around me. It, the, it's all, To me, it's always about be interested, but also um, be interested like be interesting yourself because that thrives off and you get amazing conversations but be interested in the world around you because yeah. there's so much out there yeah when we think about cultural intelligence we think about that as being the drive component you know being interested mm. in things and mm. um i guess in in my explorations at the moment i'm focusing on this cq strategy component which is the awareness and and helping people to make the shifts to see things from different perspectives mm. And so I'm wondering, I'm curious, can you tell me about a time when you have experienced a shift? Yeah, I think I think the one that stands out to me the most and probably is not what you might expect me to say because it's slightly different to a person doing something and then me reacting. Um, but the first one that comes to mind is actually it's a moment that I truly started to trust my gut, my mm-hmm. my intuition essentially. And so it was many years ago, I was filling up my car with fuel near my work. Um, I always paid my credit card. I didn't ever think about it. But as I was standing there filling it up, I had a really, really strong feeling to not use my credit card. And I was, oh, it's really odd. And it was a really high feeling, high up in my chest. Mm -hmm. And it was like, don't use, it was just this thing. It was like really strong, don't use your credit card. And I I ignored it because I always paid my credit card, never thought anything about it, went back to work. That afternoon, I got a phone call from the bank telling me that someone had just tried to put £3,000 worth of clothing on my credit card and it had come from that service station. Wow. Uh, exactly. Wow. And my my brain went, oh, oh, that, oh, like that's interesting. And I suddenly realised that there was a connection between yeah. the two and there had been a cause and effect, like that that feeling had been so strong that I couldn't ignore it. And it it then then there was an action that came off that that was nothing to do with me, and I thought, oh, that's really interesting. Wonder what that was. And I mm. I didn't think much about it other than just, oh, that was a bit weird. Like you do, that was a bit woo woo kind of thing. But I did start to wonder what had I picked up 
there was clearly something in the air, like yes. how? Yeah. I had no idea. And it then turned out that that petrol station, there were loads of people when you went online, there were hundreds of people who'd had problems at that petrol station. Um, so I just kept that in the back of my brain. Mm. Uh, but it really shifted my mind because I had grown up thinking anything religious, anything spiritual, anything whatever was was basically, if I'm honest, I just thought it was stupid. I thought if you had a faith, then you'd been fooled. That's mm-hmm. what I thought. And so I get when people think this is woo-woo and, and it's, can I say bollocks? I don't know. You yeah, no, I think you can. You yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but um, And so it's been a massive, massive shift for me to get to the point where I now work in this. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it, it that really has to be the big shift, I think, for me, yeah, the massive yeah. one. A moment when you recognised that you had almost a skill or an awareness Mm. that you hadn't previously and that it was well-founded rather than... Yes. Yeah. That was the oddest thing because then I was like, ooh, what else else am I going to pick up? Like it became quite exciting. Yes. But I never thought about it being for work or helping people. Like none of that was in my mind at all. It was just... What did I pick up on? What, yeah. What is? What was that? It, That's weird. If if I could recognize something and tell myself mm. it, what else am I telling myself exactly. that I might not have heard previously? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, and I was, was nowhere near accepting like woo woo stuff because I still yeah. thought it was bollocks. <laughs> um, <laughs> but but it because it, and I'm a very stubborn person, so it was it's a lot for me to have come over this. Yeah, um, but uh, yeah, it was really quite profound. Really profound. You're probably very aware from your work, um, especially in the LGBTQI space, that the you know some people find it really hard to make the shifts to mm. see things from other perspective, and that's what drove me to start looking into this because there are some people that I've worked with who operate more on you know the level that you were talking about before you had your shift. On that practical, um, mm. cognitive thinking level, and so they're not as good at stepping into other spaces. They're not as good at um, seeing themselves from the observer position. They're not as good at, at maybe um, recognizing when they themselves might have stepped into a defensive or a judgmental position, um, or maybe when they're afraid even in a different yeah. cultural environment and threatened or feeling unsafe. Yeah. Um, and so that can all build on their, you know, impact on their ability to build relationships or to work well in diff- in situations of difference. So I know that you work a lot in helping people to understand and increase their awareness of their own states, um, physical, emotional, spiritual. Yeah. How do you help things, first of all, because that's the core of what we're talking about here today, how do you help people notice things physically? I mean, is the book correct? Does the body keep the score? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a really interesting question. It part The first thing I do is is basically just let someone talk in the same way that a counsellor would. It's like, let's just listen to what, really listen to what they're saying. What are the words they're using? How are they describing things? And invariably, uh it's all about emotions. They're talking about emotions that they're just, they're uncomfortable sitting with. Um, and so if we, and, and in the introduction, I, I, you were talking about me helping people who are emotionally wounded. So 
It's like if we don't process something, we feel mm. it. Like if you've had an argument with someone, it doesn't just disappear. You you feel that anger or that annoyance in your your chest usually for a long time afterwards. So I personally believe, others might not, but I do believe that the body um, keeps score. So you might have heard people say if they've been in a really stressful situation, I'm not going to grow a cancer over this, or I'm not going to grow a, I'm not going to get ill because of this. Mm. So we we do get physically unwell because of, of things that happen to us. So the analogy that I use often with clients is that it's like a, a, a glass of water, that if you a clear glass of water, you drop a bit of paint into it and the paint muddies the water and it drops to the bottom and it stays there. And it's like, it's kind of like a silt in the bottom. And if you then drop another paint in, a bit of paint in later, it muddies the water and it settles and it sits there. If someone comes and shakes the glass, it all comes up and then it comes down again. And eventually, mm. if you don't, if you imagine that those drops are the, the wounds, the emotional stuff that we deal pain. with, yeah, the pain, if we don't deal with that, it just builds up and up and up. And and eventually you get to the point where it fits, gets to the top of the glass and you explode and you that's like meltdown um, complete kind of um, uh, breakdown, that kind of level. And so it's really important to to look at these things and actually deal with them when they happen or, or learn to release them because every time someone comes and shakes the glass, you get triggered yeah. again. And so that, that wound is uncomfortable and we mostly don't deal with it. We distract ourselves. We push it down. We go on a holiday. We drink alcohol. We go shopping. We do whatever these things are. And I think this personally is actually one of the reasons that COVID lockdown was so difficult for so many people because they couldn't distract themselves. They mm. couldn't get the external distraction of going shopping or whatever. So they had to sit with their discomfort. And so in terms of the body keeping score, we see this with epigenetics. So in shamanic practices, we call it ancestral trauma. Uh, but epigenetics, for those who don't know, is the field of study that looks at how your behaviors and environment can cause changes that affect the way that your genes work. And they don't actually change the DNA sequence, but they change how your body reads that, that sequence. And so I just want to give you an example is that in October 2018, there was a study published in the Journal Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences in the US that showed how trauma from one generation can affect the next. And the study was based on the National Archives uh, records of the Civil War in the US and, and particularly on prisoners of war. And these, the Union soldiers um, who were held in Confederate prisons ended up having uh, it, well, it showed that those who had been connected to those ended, ended up having shorter lifespans. So there were three groups. There were those who'd been experienced a particularly brutal prison. There were those who was less extreme. And then there were those who's, who had avoided prison altogether. Now, of the sons who lived to at least 45 years of age, the ones whose fathers had been in the most extreme prisons had a 9% higher probability of dying than mm. those in the less extreme, and an 11% higher probability than those who avoided prison altogether. And interestingly, the deaths were predominantly stroke and cancer. 
Mm. And and cancer is just cell change. I mean, it, it yes. is, is what happens. And I'm I'm not in any way suggesting that everyone's going to get cancer from, no, their, no, no, no. from their wounds. But I'm just saying that we know we get triggered by things. These things, they stay in our body mm. and, and we need to explore them. We need to process them physically and get them out. Yeah. Um, so I just find that really fascinating. I just think we don't know the half of what our body does. No, that's right. And that can pass it on to our children, which is the mm. the scary bit in that one. Um, yeah. 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 If you're thinking of somebody who's facing a situation of difference, so in your work it might be um, a teacher who's encountering uh, a student who, who perhaps is coming out um, or a parent could be, um, in my work, it might be somebody who's moving to another culture mm. and they're finding that challenging, but they're perhaps perhaps denying the challenge. And so maybe going, oh, it's it's all normal here, you know, nothing, mm. nothing to see. We're, we're doing mm. fine, all good. <laughs> what might yeah. they, how could they notice in their body that everything isn't fine? I think it's asking them some very it's asking, well, it's asking yourself, I guess if there's no one else actually asking it, it's asking yourself um, what you're really feeling. Like notice actually what that emotion is. It is are you feeling a resistance? Mm-hmm. If you're feeling a resistance, the discomfort's with you, not the other person. So we often, our body, in, in addition to keeping score, it talks to us. We know when it's telling us a message that our brain is thinking that we've got something sorted, but our body is saying something. Very, yeah. Very Do we and hear what, it? Uh, I often, we don't, we don't want to, and yeah. that's, abs- you're not ready to, and that's absolutely fine. Uh, but I think it comes, it, it's very easy to get caught up in that emotion and to keep going. So I, I tend to advise people to actually, um, to listen to the emotion, not what the brain tells you afterwards, because the brain mm-hmm. is always trying to keep you safe, basically. So yes. it'll it justifies all your behaviors to make you okay. So if people are brave enough, which and I do say brave enough because it's it's not nice, is that when you feel a reaction, if if you know that you're on edge, it's just ask yourself, why why am I reacting like this? Mm-hmm. Or mm-hmm. where did that come from? Or mm-hmm. uh why do I not feel like this with my friends? Mm. Why why is that actually come in in that interaction? What what is that that's actually making me uncomfortable? Yeah. It's very easy to blame the other person um when actually it's all about us. It's all it, it's like I use the example often of you you might walk past a homeless person in the street, you feel uncomfortable, you then blame them for making you feel uncomfortable and you have all these reasons justifying in your brain why they shouldn't be homeless or I'm not going to give them money or I'm not going to do whatever. Yeah. But actually it's you that's had the discomfort yes. and it's you that actually has to look at that. So it's, it, it, it's very difficult to make people do it when they don't want to. If you're in a training environment, you can have a long conversation about actually having an internal conversation with themselves. Yeah. And I think sometimes some people are better at that than others. Oh, completely. Yeah. Um, and I, I know that um, that you have you actually have a, a resource that you've shared with me, mm. and um, it, I will put in the show notes that if anybody wants to connect with Kath on LinkedIn, then she will share the this observation diary with it. And to me, it's a it reads a little bit like body scanning and making yeah. observations. 
Um, personally, one of my things that I need to notice, sometimes I do and sometimes I don't until I've been doing it for a while, is grinding my teeth and having a really mm. tight jaw. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm wondering what other things you find as you talk with people that people notice when they actually make themselves do those observations. Yeah, it it's often it sometimes they're not aware of it. It takes someone else to point it out, but they're like they're not quite nervous ticks. But you you start it's almost like stimming. You you might start to repeat behaviors or your your tapping if you like you're sitting on a, a train and someone's jigging their leg really yeah, fast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's usually it's like to me that's energy. They're they're not comfortable in sitting in that. There's not stillness. They're they're having to to move and, and dissipate something. So yes, it's jigging your leg. It's talking really really fast. It's um, consumption of, of of like drinking things like coffee too much. All that kind of stuff. Um, but it's also about feeling, um, just sitting with yourself and realizing whether you're calm or whether you're on edge mm. and. And a really good technique is that you can actually, if you are feeling a, a stress, is to actually, and I think I actually talk about it in the, it's in the the, the resource, is you you look at that thing with your eyes closed um, yep. and and it, it's an NLP exercise of, of what colour is it, what texture is it, what size is it, and start to give it a form because then it becomes um, something that you can actually deal with. It's like a, a physical thing essentially in your, in your mind's eye. Um, and if you do, if you can feel that, then you can actually also move it out of your body. You can mm. imagine it being pushed out. So um, it's because I work energetically, I also work with somatic practices and things of actually helping people um, with their, their body actually um, moving stuff out like that, that NLP process. Um, journaling is also really, really helpful if you're feeling something because often you don't know what you're feeling. And when you and then you start to ruminate, you, you something goes round and round and round in your head. If you write it down, you have to give it words. So you might not necessarily know even where it is in your body or what it actually is, but you just you feel on edge. You just you've woken up, you feel on edge. Something's not right. If you just start writing, like almost unconsciously, it starts to give it words. It starts to form it, and it. I do it myself, and it's absolute light bulb moment. You can just be writing anything that's coming out and then suddenly you just hit a moment it's like oh my god that's what it is yeah, and, it, and yeah. you understand it so yeah. you don't need I just say you don't need to know sometimes it's just a soft gentle exploration yeah one of the reasons I started on this quest cap is because um the CQ uh, in the cultural intelligence model talks about some of the ways to build your CQ strategy are things like mindfulness and journaling. Mm. And when I'm working with busy executives, um, engineers, IT specialists, they're not really people who necessarily <laughs> are lean towards mindfulness and journaling. And yes. so what I'm looking for is some other strategies that people can use. And that's what I liked about your observation story, because it's a little mm. bit about scanning your body mentally. And mm. I think too often people, we're not disconnected. Well, some people are disconnected from mm. your body. So you don't even notice that, like I was saying, that I'm holding my jaw with tension. Mm. You know, some people don't even notice that they've got that crick in their neck or pain in their stomach yeah. or whatever that is mm. probably indigestion is another of those things that well, is well yeah completely yeah. yeah or headaches there's a there's a tension like which you get from clenching your teeth or or being stressed generally right um um but yeah i mean things great things for 
for people like that who aren't necessarily more attuned to things like this is I mean I'm you can see me now sitting my shoulders are up and they're purposely because yes. I've got my legs my hands on my legs but just having someone even if they're sitting in the traffic on the way home just take three deep breaths and and imagine you're you're emptying your body out like just mm. relax visualize and and you start to realize where there's there's tension yeah um but it's very difficult to do that if we're always on our screens or we're always distracting us or we're ourselves or we're doing all these things. So actually. Well, I, I think um, in the moments of challenge when we're dealing with diversity, I think then it's difficult as well mm. because we're we're in the moment, we're often reacting rather than thinking strategically or sitting yes. above the challenge. Yes. Um, and, and, yeah. and what I would say in those moments is, and I do this a lot actually with the LGBTQ plus work because you are confronted with things that you might not like. Someone's just said something or you don't know how to deal with someone's emotion around something. And I always say to people that the actual, the best is advice is to don't react. In that moment, mm. your your emotions come surging out really, really fast. And then your brain kicks in and you're in defensive mode. And And actually the key, and it takes practice, the key is to realize that actually it's it's not about you. It, it's you're having a personal reaction. And so in that moment, I always say to people, don't say anything. Take a deep breath. That deep breath is multi-valuable because it bides you time to get your brain into gear and start to think kind of clearly, not, not so um, defensively. It yes. relaxes your body. It gives you space to relax. Um, and then it also gives them time to potentially keep talking because people don't like silence they will fill that space yeah. so they keep talking and then you actually end up finding sometimes you understand more about where they're coming from and then often the best response after that is to, rather than asserting your own thoughts is to ask an open question because if you ask an open question it forces that other person to to justify or to explain their their statement it also bides you more time because you don't have to fill the space mm. and you understand more about why they think what they think. So from a, an, um, I was going to say an inclusion point of view, even though I don't <laughs> like that word, um, from that perspective, if someone has an issue and they're like, oh, well, I don't think same-sex people should be able to get married, that to me is, and it feels like a personal thing. So I mm -hmm. would do the breath and I'd say, oh, that's really interesting. Why do you think that? Mm. And then they might say something that then gives me, calms me down, gives me more information about how to answer that question. And it, it's a an emotional separation that that helps handle a situation like that. Yeah, brilliant. Good strategy. And, <laughs> um, and one that you can have sort of at the top of your head for thinking about. Mm. Yeah, it really calms things down. And I've I've had some situation, situations that have been fairly horrible where people are being very, very strong with their opinions. Um, and it's in that moment that you try and realize it's actually, it, it, it's not about you. They, they've got an opinion for all of their own reasons. Mm. And, and in doing that, you're, un, you're actually being really compassionate to that person because you're understanding that they have a different life experience to you. And there will be reasons that they think what they think. And mm. that's fine. That, mm. That's absolutely fine. They don't have to think like me, but, but it's, it's let's then, in that moment, it's about you trying to manage it, but then let's start to help break down what that is and understand it better to then help them or help you in your work trying to shift some perspectives. 
or the two of you to, you know, get on well enough so that you mm. can work together or, or whatever is the outcome that you're hoping yeah, for. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, a perfect example, actually, is my wife and I were um, walking through our, our village at home and it was just by the bus stop and it was late at night and a man yelled out to us. He said, oh, he said, are you two lesbians? And my wife was really like, I could feel that she was like, well, you're thinking this is going to be a problem. And I thought, oh, this is, I'm just going to see what this, and I said, yes, we are. And then he said, are you married? And I said, yes. And I could tell my wife was like, oh, come on, let's just go. Because <laughs> usually that ends up yeah. doing something else. And in that moment of pausing and actually interacting, he then went on to say, um, oh, I think it's fantastic that you guys can get married now. <laughs> it's so good. I love it. He said, you should have been out. Like, he just did this huge, big, positive yeah. thing. And we were screaming with laughter later yes. because, unfortunately, the other the other option is usually often what happens. But it was a really lovely little interaction and it was a really good exercise on just don't lunge for, just wait. Because right. if we'd come in or ignored him, he would have thought, oh, well, that's a bit rude. Like, exactly. so then we're the ones that have done the thing. So being able to stop that defensiveness Mm. And be curious, but also safe. Like we were walking away as we was yes. we were doing it, and and I also happened to know that there was a camera there, so it was all right. But but it's just you get you practice it, you you get better at it. It's quite hard to do sometimes when you're feeling got at. But um, yeah, it just shows you never know what's going. Someone's going to say or why really. No, and all you can manage is yourself in that situation. Yeah, yeah. completely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we we had something the other day. Uh, we were talking to a man who was from. Um, a country I'm not from a country that was generally doesn't uh tolerate uh, LGBTQ plus people and he just this was in the UK and he we'd been talking to him and he looked at us and said he said are you two sisters and my wife um she was like oh no and, and she got very busy very quickly <laughs> and I just said um no we're married and I thought I'm I this is I feel safe here I have no issues I'm protected there's no there's no problem um and we were then went on to talk about loads of other things and then about a minute later, there was a little pause, and he just looked at us and smiled, and he said, "You're my first, uh, you're my first lesbian or people like you that I've met." And he said, "I'm really pleased to meet you." And we had this amazing conversation, and there's such beauty that can come from things, and it's very easy if you're a marginalised community, particularly, to expect the worst because you're you're slightly yes. in a defen defensive mode, trying to keep safe, so you don't know. And so this is often my advice to allies is in your first question, give us a hint that we know you're okay with it. Like even if it's just, oh, I'm an ally or I'd love to know more. Could you help? Could Do you mind if I ask a question? Yeah. So Because that's understanding how our bodies are reacting and yes. what our body will be telling us. It's all like this is all threat mode, threat mode. Yes. So yeah. that's what everything I do with the training and the work I do is, is building that bridge. It's like the boardwalk with the Aboriginal yeah. people, building the boardwalk between my community and and allies so that we see each other, we see the humanity in each other. Yeah. What a lovely illustration. Mm. Mm. So a lot of your work is, is, you know, effectively creating the platforms or creating the spaces that people can walk across, that people can um, experience themselves and get to know themselves a bit more deeply and recognize what's going on within them and that you walk with them to navigate the challenges that they're facing. With the work I do, it's very much 
helping that person to get in touch with themselves. And often mm. I find that I end up with um, people on my sofa who think it's their partner's fault and there's yeah. discomfort and there's resentment. Um, and a lot of the time that all that partner is doing unconsciously is actually holding a mirror up. Okay. Um, and it's it's completely normal for us to to not want to look at ourselves uh, we we look at ourselves as the last thing and mm-hmm. so i meet i meet a lot of women who have done life that is expected of them they do school college work married kids all that that kind of trajectory and then in their late 30s and 40s they suddenly think who am i who 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 actually am i and and they've done everything in a way that they've done for other people and other people's expectations. So when they come to me, part of all of this this energy work and listening to our bodies is actually listening to what their body's telling them about what they want, what what's holding them back, what can we actually work through to help them reclaim a life and to be more in tune and in more aligned um, with themselves than, they, than they've ever been. Um, mm. and, and and I do that in person and, and online and so people, I love it. It's so rewarding. Um, and it, it's obviously, it's not about me, not about me, but I just love it because I can see people change so much. They don't settle for things anymore. And it's partly because their bodies won't let them anymore. They, they're so yeah. attuned to what's right for them that they can't go back. And and it's not about, um, it's not about being right in a relationship or not compromising or like, well, I can't do that anymore. It, it's not about that. It's about being in control of your own mind, body, and soul, essentially. So we can't change other people's behavior, but we Mm. can change how we react to it. And this is the key difference. So we choose how we react and what we react to and what we don't react to. And from that then comes a really deep inner peace because you're you're not being triggered. You're not, therefore, outsourcing your happiness to someone else. You're in control. You know what you're doing. There's a calmness. There's a stillness, and there's so much power and confidence and strength that comes in that as a as an individual to get to that point is just wonderful. So so whenever you meet someone that's different from you, you don't you're not offloading your baggage onto them by yeah. the way that you're reacting. You're yeah. actually meet, meeting them as a whole person and able to see them as a person. It, it becomes person-centred and all of those biases of that person wears that clothing so they must think that or they do mm. that job so they must do that, all of that disappears. And it's my actually my abiding, my one message to everybody when you meet someone that's different from you is to see yourself in every single person that you meet mm. because then you don't see all of your biases. You don't see all the other stuff. You just see the human in front of you who is trying to live a life and get through in whatever way they're trying to get through. And it might not be in in alignment with your stuff. It might be very, very different, but there, it helps stop our judgments. It helps, um, helps us just be stiller on the inside. Is that a word stiller? More still. Still. (laughs) Yeah. Helps you be more still. So. Yeah. That's wonderful. Thank you, Kath. I think there's lots to unpack here and um, yes. I, I think um, we may come back to some of it at some point. Thank yes. you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. And My um, pleasure. I'm sure thank you for having me. Benefit. You're very welcome. Mm, thank you. Thank you for listening. 
You can subscribe or follow on your podcast app so that you can be notified when new episodes are released. I'd love it if you'd connect or follow me on LinkedIn. I'm keen to hear your questions and thoughts. And please join us for further episodes of The Shift. 